Fred Durst? He's like Iggy. Oh, I, I, you, you are sorely mistaken. I, I, I... Play something from uh, $3 Bill, y'all. What is that? That's the, uh, the landmark Limp Biscuit album. Uh, Limp Biscuit? Oh, my God. I mean, they, they... Wait, you don't agree that those are the most crucial grooves you've heard since Funkadelic? What, Limp Biscuit grooves? Absolutely, it's I It's like don't. the ultimate cross between, between Funkadelic and Rob Tyner. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't agree at all. Oh, y- you do not deserve a radio show. CITR 101.9 FM, your crucial groove station. It's just a lot of BS. A whole lot of BS. It's just a lot of BS. A whole lot of BS.
And good evening. You're listening to 101.9 FM CITR in Vancouver. It's UBC Campus Radio. It's live. It's stereoscopic readout. Uh, I'm your host, Darren, and this uh, is going to be a special show tonight. Um, I think last weekend I'd wrote written a uh, thing on Tumblr because I keep a blog on Tumblr. Uh, if you want to check it out, it is uh, whose side are you on dot Um or just look up whose side are you on. And um, normally, I just put the playlists from the show with some comments about this and that, <clears throat> and occasionally a little article or something else I reblog. Anyway, over the weekend, I wrote a small piece on a Vancouver band from yesteryear called The Collectors, and. Um, I was thinking it's about time I did my semi-annual, uh, probably my Biennale sort of uh, spotlight on the collectors because I do one from time to time. Uh, they're probably one of my top two or three favorite Vancouver bands of all time. And um, yeah, it's, 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 it's an interesting story watching or taking a listen to the evolution of the band over the course of basically only four years. Uh, you're going back to a time in the 60s when bands would not sound the same after, uh, you know, even 12 months. Whereas today, you know, I listen to something on the radio and it might as well have been if re- recorded in 1998, if it was recorded yesterday. There's, you know, like bands do the same thing constantly over a period of like, you know, five to 10 years if they even last that long. But uh, at any rate, the collectors started off in Vancouver. Um, they were basically m- very much a product of the live music scene at the time, and it was a very different live scene than, I mean, nowadays there are live bands which you can go see at a specifically live music-oriented venue, or you can go to a nightclub and basically listen to uh, DJs. Uh, back in the day, you went to a night- nightclub because there were no such thing as DJs as such. Uh, you go to a nightclub and there would be a live band there um, and pretty much every nightclub would have a live band and they would have a um, set list based of on you know R&B and soul uh, hits that were sort of what we would now call standards. <clears throat> and the whole area down, say, at Maine and Hastings back then was chock full of uh, these dance halls which catered to, you know, the... Um, the young crowd um our vancouver really was an r&b and soul town at the time uh it catered basically also to the sort of transient population of sailors and loggers who'd be coming in and out of town looking for a place to quickly spend some of their um, you know liquid assets and have a good time and all kinds of other people who were down there to sort of help them spend that money but basically it was, you know, it was like, it was a rough and ready scene of, uh, live bands playing rough and ready music for, you know, people to basically, uh, hook up with for the evening. And, um, that is the kind of thing that we don't have anymore is that whole scene of just bands that were sort of professional musicians. You were actually able to make a living, uh, playing music back then. It wasn't just sort of, uh, a hobby that you did and uh it became a living if you were actually becoming wildly successful at it um i mean i think also the uh prominence of the local musicians union probably had something to do with it as well 
But um, at any rate, the Collectors were one of these bands at the time. They started off calling themselves the Classics. And as we're going to get to in a moment, you're going to see that their set was very much, you know, R&B flavored, um, verging on garage rock, as it were, but very sort of set in uh, R&B sensibilities. Um, We're going to start things off with, um, this is pretty much the first single released by the Classics at the time. Now, at the time, how many times can I say at the time? (laughs) In one sentence, um... They had a vocalist by the name of Howie Vickers. Um, He doesn't appear on every track because they were still largely, um, I wouldn't say largely, but uh, instrumentals did feature very prominently in the classics set list. Howie Vickers was on vocals. Brian Russell played guitar. Claire Lawrence played saxophone. Glenn Miller played bass. And Gary Taylor played drums. And um, this is it. This is their first single... When was that released? Yeah, 1963 we're going back to. These are the uh, classics from Vancouver with Aces High on 101.9 FM CITR. Oh, it would help if I actually turned the volume up on that.
Oh, lost track of the time there. Uh, you're back with uh, the stereoscopic readout look at the history of, well, the ultra-brief history of Vancouver's own The Collectors, circa 1963 to 1970. I heard three songs from the band when they were known as The Collectors, starting off with Aces High, which was the A-side of their first single in 1963. Um, a, excuse me. A novelty song that they did um, with in conjunction with a uh, local broadcaster by the name of Fred Latrimo, who I think anybody over the age of 35 might remember his name. Um, he was a uh, DJ. Uh, he was on C-Fun uh, back when, well, he pretty much was with C-Fun throughout his whole career, but uh, back when it was a hip station and not a an adult contemporary station, but... Uh, <clears throat> See fun. Um, he did a novelty song called "The Latramotion," and um, the classics backed him on that. So you heard the Latramotion, and that last song you heard there was from 1966, and it was entitled "I Don't Know." They at that point had to change their name to the Canadian Classics. So the the sort of timeline went um, Aces High in '63. They released another single in '64 called I think it was "Till I Met You." Yeah, Till I Met You, that actually got them a little bit more attention down the West Coast as far as California where uh, that single was picked up by a U.S. independent, sort of a small cottage label. Um, They kept going until 66 um, when they realized that there there was another band in the States called The Classics, so they had to rename themselves or rechristen themselves. The Canadian classics, but I think in that sort of set there, you can see their transition from sort of a straight-ahead R&B house band kind of sound to By the Time of I Don't Know. 
fitting in uh, some more folk rock influences, certainly the uh, middle eight and the, um, or the middle eight when Howie Vickers goes into some more higher pitched, softer singing, uh, sort of indicated the direction that they were already headed in by that point. Um, they didn't actually record anything else in 66. And in fact, at that point, they were working on getting a U.S. record deal um, through Warner Brothers. Um, but there is stuff which exists from that period, which were sort of demoed, and we're going to listen to that next. This is a track, which sort of, it's like uh, two tracks, which actually kind of bookend where they came from and where they were going in 1966. Starting with where they came from, this is a song called Don't Feel Bad. Yeah, man. 
back with you on 101.9 FM CITR. You're listening to Stereoscopic Readout and our retrospective of the band The Collectors, one of the greatest bands ever to come out of the city. Um, so you heard two tracks there, Don't Feel Bad and Eyes. Those are, those, you can find those on uh, the History of Vancouver Rock and Roll Volume 4. Um, recorded in 66, um, probably while they were still known as the classics or the Canadian classics, um, when they were sort of looking around for uh, what their next move was going to be. At the time, they'd also uh, parted company with drummer Gary Taylor and guitarist Brian Russell, recruiting uh, Ross Turney on drums and uh, one Bill Henderson on guitar. Claire Lawrence was also branching out at the time playing flute and organ. I don't know if he... I think it sounds kind of to my ears like an ace tone that he's playing, which would have been a very common garage rock or garage band sort of accoutrement at the time uh, as well. But uh, two songs that indicate sort of where they were at. Obviously... Um, Howie Vickers was a uh, also a fan, big fan of folk music. Vancouver had sort of two solitudes at the time. You had the R and B crowd known as the Greasers down at Maine and Hastings, and also coming up into uh, some of the clubs in downtown Vancouver, such as the Cave, which I think was on Hornby Street. Um, but Robson Street at the time was the was the uh, epicenter of Vancouver's folk coffee house circuit, and um, certainly there were a, there were a number of important folk bands that came from Vancouver, such as the uh, Tom Northcott Trio was the most well known of them. Uh, so the seeds of what became the Poppy Family, featuring Susan and Terry Jacks, also would have got their start there. Um, how he did Moonlight from the band in 1966, uh, recording a uh, single with uh, Susan Jacks and uh, Tom Northcott under the name uh, The Eternal Triangle. And that, uh, and certainly they were starting to fit folk sensibilities into their music, as you can hear from that song, Eyes. So not really an R&B song, although uh, certain R&B sort of uh, soulful sing or the sort of soul belting did work its way into it, and that would be sort of a, a hallmark of the collector's, uh, you know, most successful period would be this merge of psychedelia and folk and uh, soul, as it were. And we're going to be getting to that because they were on the verge of pretty much having a uh, a hit single in Canada, but uh, they were down in Los Angeles. They finally got picked up by Warner Records. Where am I at? Here is... Yeah, I think they ended up... uh, It's kind of like this maze of... uh, It was a subsidiary of Warner called Valiant that they ended up getting signed to. Um, And around the time they'd recorded the first single, uh, Looking at a Baby Backed with Old Man. But of course, uh, the guys at Valiant knew that uh, releasing this under the uh, name the Canadian Classics would have been the kiss of death, seeing as we were looking at 1967 here. Uh, they asked the band to come up with a new name. The band knew that they had to come up with another name, something that was like more apropos, you know, 
up to date and hip um but they would just keep putting it off and finally uh, their a and r rep phoned them up at the hotel that they were staying at and said look we're releasing this thing we're going to send the thing off to the printing plant uh you're either going to be the collectors or you're going to be the connection you have 20 minutes to to decide so that is in fact how they ended up with the name the collectors but uh it was under that name that they released an a uh, single looking at a baby which actually hit the canadian top 10 in the spring of 1967 and surprise surprise that is the next song i'm going to be playing right now See if I will be an old man sitting in a garden 
back with you as uh, part of stereoscopic readout and it's look at the career of the collectors this is uh, vintage stuff from the city of vancouver people um you're looking at 1967 now and the two singles which were released in that year are looking at a baby and old man starting things off and then later on that summer, Fisherwoman and that song, Listen to the Words, which was the last one you heard there, where it was released later on in the summer, did not crack the top 10, but got to number 15 nationally. Um, and at that point, the collectors sojourned back to L.A. to record an album. Now, I think at, that, at this point, it's quite obvious that they've managed to mesh the whole uh, folk, psych, and soul crossover which is kind of ironic because by 1966 the hippie thing had started to happen in vancouver um it was sort of like a rather sort of an underground enclave in the west end but as uh more and more hipsters began to move into the west end the rent went up and uh they started looking for a cheaper part of town to uh rent in and that's kind of a familiar story if you look at any musical scene at any time and since this from the 1960s onwards it's a sort of neighborhoods that subscribe to one sort of lifestyle always end up wherever the rent is cheapest and in vancouver it was no exception uh back then and yeah, this is really dating things too. And if you if you're laughing, I don't blame you. But uh, the cheapest place in town, with close proximity to the downtown area, was Kitsilano. Um, and that's probably the last time in the last thirty years you're going to hear the words "cheap rent" and Kitsilano in the same sentence. But um, basically, the uh, the two so the become sort of three solitudes at that point. But uh, the main dialectic in vancouver between the two scenes was the hippies and the greasers and if you're familiar with british popular culture in the mid 60s you'll be familiar with the constant battles of the mods versus the rockers well vancouver had it however it was the hippies versus the greasers and our hippies you know don't fall for um you know cheap stereotypes our hippies knew how to fight because this was vancouver it was a rough town back then this was like you know this was a port town full of sailors and a transient population of loggers and miners and you know guys who would go down in the mine and blow things up all day and then come into town with a pocket full of cash and uh wanted to drink and fight so you know this far cry from the uh you know the yoga and granola scene which we've got here today but anyway i digress um the collectors had sort of proved their worth in canada and were scheduled to record an album which appeared in 1968 now you already heard one song from it off the very top i played what is love that's sort of like a statement of theme for the album it was self-titled um the entire second side uh, 19 minutes and change were devoted to an expansion on that idea called the what love suite which i'm not going to be playing because we simply don't have the time to um also in my opinion it's not the greatest song you'll ever hear but anyway um you'll be hearing a f- couple more tracks from it uh 
Also, they were um, granted the honor of filming a music video. Uh, if you go on YouTube and look up Lydia Purple, which is one of the songs I'm going to be playing, you'll see, be able to see that video. Um, and it's kind of funny because at some point they're on the top of a building. I've managed to actually ascertain that it's the Pacific Palisades Hotel, which is only about a year old at that point. Also, you can, I think, see the planetarium over on Vanier Point. And definitely you can see that weird-looking three-pointed star-shaped uh, avocado-colored apartment at the south end of the Burrard Bridge. But if you go to YouTube and look that up, um, you'll you'll see something interesting. You'll also be able to find, uh, if you look up One Act Play, which is another song I'm going to be getting to in a moment, um, the band in July of 1968 did a taping for a show called Playboy After Dark, which was, in fact, hosted by Hugh Hefner. Um, they always had, from what I can guess, gather, uh, they always seemed to have bands on, so the collectors actually did make an appearance, um, along with, over the course of this show's history, The Grateful Dead and uh, Deep Purple and a number of other bands. I think Santana did a set on uh, that show, too. So they're pretty good company, but we're going to listen to three tracks from their 1968 debut album. This one starting off is She, Will of the Wind. Oh, yeah. Turn the volume up on that. Excuse me a moment.
sleeping? Are you still sleeping? No, it's not important now. It doesn't matter anyhow. Go back to sleep now. Are you sure you're warm enough? No, it's not time to get up. Just go to sleep now. No, it's nothing. I said nothing. The same thing happens every night. We go to sleep, we never fight. But what is happening? What is there happening? To you, why do I do the things I do? Why do I do it? I've been thinking. I stay. the career of Vancouver Ben, The Collectors, from 1968. Three songs from their self-titled debut album. You heard... Uh, what did you hear, actually? You heard uh, She, Will of the Wind. You heard Lydia Purple. And you heard One Act Play. Um, if you tuned in last week, you would have heard me as part of the Halloween special play another song from the same album, Howard Christman's Older. Um... Anyway, uh, that uh, the album was sort of a local hit. It 
went um i don't think it sold very well in the states although it did get a lot of airplay on uh, one or two of the uh, progressive san francisco fm stations at the time um the album did not do very well at all uh, on the east coast however the um the village voice <clears throat> ran a rather sniffy review of the album saying that the uh, the best thing that the collectors could do for uh music would be to break up um but they certainly did have a home on the west coast and uh, they played a few shows at the fillmore auditorium um at least one of them opening for buffalo springfield anyway uh they carried on into 69 they were definitely signed to warner's imprint valiant um and followed up uh i think they had a uh they had one single out in 1969 which we're going to listen to and they then proceeded to um, release an album of a collaboration they did with a canadian playwright by the name of george riga he had a play called grass and wild strawberries and part of his concept for it was to have the band on stage i think behind a screen but uh playing along with the um, acting and plot like going along actually in front of the audience and then they would actually play full-on songs which would sort of complement the plot line in the script between uh, scenes and acts in the play so we're going to be getting to uh, a few songs from that soundtrack um, as it were the score from the play grass and wild strawberries but uh, before we get to that this are both sides of the single that they released in um 1969 this is was it fat bird or yeah the a side was called fat bird it was backed with make it easy and that's what you're going to hear right now Thank you. 
with you into the final minutes of um, this week's stereoscopic readout and this week it is the uh, story of the collectors uh, one of the greatest bands ever to emerge from vancouver in my opinion uh you're listening to 101.9 fm citr um and coming up at 9 p.m is uh live from thunderbird radio hell ben is back ben has cured from his mystery ailment and um it appears that there's a band in today uh, because our old friend Doe what's his name Uh, you know it's really embarrassing when you draw a blank on somebody's name but uh, oh my god Evan Simons or Evan Simmons I'm sorry Evan Simmons is going to be assisting with the uh, live sound this 
afternoon or this evening. So uh, it should be good. It's good to see Evan back. Um, and it's good to see Ben back in good health. Anyway, from uh, 1969, you heard the final releases that the collectors did for Warner Brothers. Uh, from their final Warner's single, you heard Fat Bird backed with Make It Easy. And three songs from their second album, Grass and Wild Strawberries, you heard Overture, Things I Remember, and Don't Turn Away From Me. Um, but as it was, those two releases the uh, in 1969 weren't uh, didn't improve upon anything that they'd done with their first album, and uh, Warner's dropped them. But uh, they did re-sign with London Records fairly quickly. However, I think... Howie Vickers had had enough of the band and left. So uh, the band carried on as the collectors into 1970. Um, I think it's possible that Howie had stayed with the band into 1970 because there is footage also on YouTube of them performing a a track off Grass and Wild Strawberries called uh, Sheep on the Hillside. And it could be from the band's residency at the Osaka World's Fair in 1970, representing Canada at the Youth Pavilion. There were a couple of Canadian bands that went to Japan to play there, uh, Collectors being one, and uh, Quebec's Souls of Inspiration were another. But uh, if you look on YouTube, you can see the Collectors doing a TV broadcast of Sheep on the Hillside with Howie singing. So it's possible. I don't know exactly when. I'm I'm, I'm basically at the mercy of the information I've got from liner notes and so forth of uh, some compilations. If you're after uh, compilations, there was a really good one released in the early 90s called 17th Summer came out on Edsel Records. That's pretty hard to find, although I think it may have been re-released on CD. Um, There's stuff by the band which appeared on the... VRCA imprints, Vancouver or History of Vancouver Rock and Roll Volumes Three and Four, and uh, some of the stuff pops up on the um, Wild Canada series of garage rock compilations. So uh, there's some leads for you if you want to track down some stuff by the band that you'd heard tonight. Um, anyway, the band did continue without Howie on vocals with uh, Bill Henderson singing. They released two singles in that format. I must have been blind backed with beginning part one. And then later on in 1970, um, sometimes we're up backed with beginning part two. But by that point, they were in fact already performing as the, or sort of de facto, they turned into the band that they would become, i.e. Chilliwack. So the last, uh, we're going to listen to the last collector's single recorded and that is I must have been blind
Anyway, as I mentioned, the first two or the two sides of uh, their penultimate single, released on London Records in 1970, you heard it must have been Blind. And currently, what you're listening to is Beginning Part One. Beginning Part Two would appear as the B side to their final singer single under the name The Collectors. Um, sometimes we're up. Anyway, I'm sort of fading this out quickly because. Uh, Ben is up next with Live from Thunderbird Radio Hell, and I'm going to get to the last track of the set, and that is the, how the band ended up. Um, when Howie Vickers left, I left the core of Bill Henderson, Claire Lawrence, Ross Turney, and Glenn Miller um, with the band. So they, you know, with changing times and changing focus on the music, they changed their name to Chilliwack, and that's where that song leads off. Um, they would record a, basically the collectors minus how we would record one album in 1970. And then Claire Lawrence would part, part company with, uh, Miller, Turney and Henderson. Eventually it would turn out that Henderson was the only original member left in the band, but I'm leaving you with a track from their first album. This is every day by Chilliwack. And that is it from me for this week.
More than 100 million wild animals are killed each year illegally. Poaching is a major threat to our country's wildlife. I'm Tom Barry. I'm an actor with a desire to preserve living space for wildlife. The Humane Society Wildlife Land Trust does just that. Works with private landowners to protect wildlife to preserve natural habitats. To learn more or to work with the Humane Society Wildlife Land Trust, call 800-729-SAVE. That's 800-729-SAVE or visit wildlifelandtrust.org. Thank you. After decades of decline, droning fatalities have been rising dramatically in Canada since 2004. Most drowning victims had no intention of going in the water and harmless situations can become dangerous quickly. This summer, if you're going out on the water, even if you're not planning on going in it, be water smart and be prepared. Here are some things you can do to reduce your risk of drowning. Learn to swim and swim to survive. If you can tread water for a minute, you can orient yourself, and if you can swim 50 meters in a pool, you'll most likely be able to swim to safety in open water. Most drowning fatalities occur within just 15 meters of safety. Wear a life jacket or personal flotation device. 80% of all boating deaths were people who were not wearing one. Take a marine safety course, and if you're going kayaking or canoeing, know how to get out of your craft if it flips over. Practice basic safety moves such as wet exits and self-rescues. Save the alcohol for dry land after you're done playing on the water. And never go out alone. For more information and more safety tips, go to lifesaving.bc.ca. With the vast amount of changes happening in the world, it's almost impossible to get a clear picture of what's really going on. We are trapped within the logic of capitalism, leaving us unable to imagine what comes next. The Extra Environmentalist brings the perspectives of people who can see the whole picture and are ready for whatever comes our way. Tune in to The Extra Environmentalist every Wednesday from 2 to 3 p.m. on CITR 101.9 FM. This is the viewpoint that makes all places the same to you. For the very best in bluegrass music, plus classic country, Cajun, rockabilly, western swing, and whatever jumps off the shelves at us, tune in every Tuesday morning at 6.30 for Pacific Pickin' with your host, Arthur Berman. And I'm Andrea. The lovely Andrea, who will also provide you with our concert calendar and every bit of news and information you can possibly need. And as if that wasn't enough, there's a warm-up show at 6, featuring a little bit of a wider variety of roots and branches of bluegrass music. So tune in each morning, 6 for the warm-up show, 6.30 for the main show, Pacific Pickin' on CITR 101.9 in Vancouver. Chris Terrific. There always wanted his character to be bigger than life. Ladies and gentlemen, it is without question the greatest sports and entertainment event of all time. Be a part of it Monday from 1 to 3 p.m. The Parts Unknown Show on 101.9 CITR. Sometimes cosmoses collide. Do you need someone to talk to? 
If you are seeking a listener who is non-judgmental, confidential, and familiar with resources, then a Speakeasy volunteer might be able to help you. AMS Speakeasy is a peer support service located in the North Concourse of the Sub. If you would like to speak to someone, come to the desk and tell a volunteer, or ring the doorbell located behind the desk. It's your 75-cent coffee fix in the sub. It's your source for reasonably priced, creatively named